You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're welcoming back to Workplace Perspective, Southern California attorney Peter Stockberger. Peter's a partner at Denton's, practicing with the firm's global employment, intelligence and strategic services, and data privacy groups. During his last appearance, we talked extensively with Peter about the California Privacy Rights Act. The CPRA amends California's existing Consumer Privacy Act of 2018 and is set to take effect January 1st, 2023. The CPRA has serious implications for employers as it impacts how employers collect, store, and utilize employee information. On today's episode, We're going to be talking about the practicalities of the CPRA and some key takeaways and best practices, what to think about now and how to best prepare. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome back to Workplace Perspective, Peter Stockberger. Great. Thank you very much, Teresa. Happy to be here. We're so happy to have you back. Uh, Before we get started, why don't you remind our listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, I'm the managing partner for the San Diego office of Denton's. For those not familiar, Denton's is the world's largest law firm. We've got offices in over 80 countries and over 20,000 professionals worldwide. And I'm based in our San Diego office, and I help clients all throughout the world deal with complicated data privacy and employment questions. So my practice really does focus on this intersection of data privacy and employment compliance. So this issue of CPRA compliance for employers is sort of my sweet spot of uh, expertise. So excited to talk about it. Me too. You are becoming quite the authority. So let's start with just a brief recap uh, on what changes the CPRA is going to demand of employers come that January 1st, 2023 deadline. Effective January 1, the existing California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA, is going to be amended with some pretty substantial changes. Uh, There are changes to the definition of personal information. There There are changes to who's a covered business. Uh, There are new disclosure obligations that companies need to provide in their privacy statements, in their online notices. I think perhaps two of the biggest changes that are coming is, one, the entirety of the CPRA is going to apply to any California resident who's an employee or a job applicant or a contractor. So that has a significant impact on employers in and outside of California. The current law that is in existence today does not apply in most part to employees, applicants, and contractors, sort of what I call the HR group of data. That group of 
individuals are only entitled to notice under the current law. Effective January 1, they're going to be entitled to the full rights under the law. So that really means a whole compliance program around the HR side of the business is going to be needed. That's a significant change, number one. The second significant change, in my view, is a data minimization requirement now is embedded in the law. And what the CPRA says is that covered businesses cannot collect, use, store, or share personal information of a California resident beyond what is reasonably necessary to achieve the original purpose for why it was collected. And a new privacy agency, the California Privacy Protection Agency, is charged with enforcing that standard, and they have a set of draft regulations that are still being debated as to what it means to be reasonably necessary. So I think a key takeaway is that folks listening who are covered businesses, this includes how you treat employee data, that there has to be a reasonable limitation on how much you collect and how much you keep. And Teresa, that's really a brand new requirement in U.S. law. We don't have a data minimization requirement under U.S. law, and I think that was the intent of this provision, is to introduce more of a European concept around data minimization into the California marketplace. Let me ask you one I, I'm going to ask you one practical question and then one more kind of a philosophical question. But so who's covered? Who's deemed to be an employer under the under the new uh, CPRA? So to be covered under the CPRA takes effect January 1. You have to be a covered, quote unquote, business. A business, there are four definitions of what a business can be. The first definition is you need to be for profit. You need to be doing business in California, and that can include even if you're based outside of California, if you are sort of in the California stream of commerce, you're doing business here. You have to be collecting the information of California residents. And if you meet each of those factors, then the law says, well, then you have to meet one of three additional thresholds. One, do you have annual gross revenue in excess of 25 million? If the answer is no, then you ask yourself, are we buying, are we selling, are we sharing the information of 100,000 or more California residents annually? If the answer is no, then you go to, are we deriving 50% of our revenue from selling or sharing California resident information? If you don't meet that definition, there's a second definition that says, well, even if you don't meet that first definition, you're still covered if you are owned and controlled by a business that meets that first definition and you share common branding and you do certain things with data with each other. And then there's some additional definitions around joint ventures. So it's a very specific definition of who's covered. So my advice to all businesses is before you jump into the compliance vortex and start worrying about your compliance obligations, step number one is to figure out, am I a covered business? If you're not a covered business, you still may be covered under this law if you are acting as a service provider or a contractor to a covered business because you have standalone obligations as you process people's data. So determining whether you're covered or not is a, is a critical first question. Yeah, I'm just trying to think as you're going through that. It, I, I, I can't decide whether everybody's going to be swept up in that or if there really are some people who are not going to be considered to be covered by it. But it's so broad. I mean, don't you think that's broad? 
Well, it is. It's actually much broader under the law today. Under the laws that exist today, the CCPA, there's still that $25 billion threshold question. And then, but the second question today is, do you collect the information of 50,000 or more California residents annually? That's very broad. That actually swept up a lot of small to medium-sized businesses. They changed that 50,000 threshold to 100,000. And that, you know, in theory, is going to limit the amount of small businesses that get covered, but it still is a very broad coverage under the law. When it first came about, I had in my head that this was geared towards businesses who, who want to sell me something. So they're getting my information because I'm a consumer. But now it's gone into my employees. If I'm a business, even if, I, even if I'm not dealing with consumers uh, directly, like trying to get them to buy my product and I'm keeping their data information, but it goes to my employees that help me do that, right? That's correct. And that's because consumer under the law is defined as a California resident as defined under the California tax code. And so employees, individuals, business-to-business contacts, anybody who's a California resident is technically a consumer under this law. Now, the original law, which is in effect today, the CCPA, exempted from 95% of the law employees, job applicants, and contractors because the authors of the original CCPA said that this law was never really intended to cover the HR side of the house. There was a similar exemption under the current law around business-to-business contact information. So, for example, if you're talking to me as your lawyer and you've got my email address and phone number, the law says, well, that's not personal information under this law because we never intended it to cover business-to-business communications. Both of those exemptions, the HR exemption and the business-to-business exemption, are expiring on December 31st. And there was an opportunity for the legislature to continue those exemptions. There were bills presented in the legislature this session to continue those exemptions indefinitely, or at least until 2026, and they both were not passed out of the legislature. So by statute, those exemptions are expiring, and now the entirety of the law, effective January 1, applies to all California residents in the state, regardless of their role or their position. So that's why even though you think, well, I have to have a privacy policy, that makes sense for my website. Now you have to have a privacy policy. Now you have to have privacy notices. Now you have to extend those consumer rights to employees, job applicants, contractors, your lawyer, anybody you're doing business with who's a California resident. And that's the real impact of these uh, exemptions expiring is that it's bringing in a whole new scope of data. And to be frank with you, HR departments, this is brand new. HR departments are not data privacy departments. So it is a real sort of mental shift on what the HR department's now going to be responsible for. Yeah, yeah, I can see that because, you know, they're used to the medical side of things. So keeping, you know, all their obligations with regard to confidentiality on medical information, this is a whole new aspect for them. So it's it's going to be quite a shift for a number of businesses, I think. So we're going to take a quick break. um, And when we come back, we'll hear more thoughts from Peter on complying with the CPRA. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
step toward bringing our country and community together. Start a meaningful conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us, like us, give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us, and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with employment law attorney Peter Stockberger about the California Privacy Rights Act. So, Peter, given this new obligation that a lot of businesses are going to have and have to get up to speed on, can you talk about what are some of the most important steps that you think uh, an employer should be taking ahead of the 2023 deadline? Um, maybe your top five or your top three that people can focus on to make sure um, as a business they're compliant or at least working their way towards getting compliant. I think there are three buckets of compliance areas that employers should focus on to get ready for January. Bucket number one are what I call external notices. These are your privacy notices that need to go to employees, to job applicants, to contractors that explain to them what information is being collected and how it's being used and also conveying to them the rights they have under this law. What that looks like practically is really a privacy policy that gets distributed to these individuals. But you have to think about the method of distribution. For job applicants, you have to think, how am I going to deliver this notice to a job applicant? You have to design, you have to look at, well, they go to this website, they go to my careers page. Before they click continue, do I present them with a link? So there's a, there's a lot of creativity there that you can have in how you design it. But what the law requires you to do is deliver a notice that is easy to understand and that is clear, that explains to the individual the rights they have and the notices that are required. So that sort of external notice, that privacy notice, transparency requirement, is bucket number one. And employers can start on that now. Get those drafted. I'm working with dozens of clients daily on preparing these notices, getting them in place, thinking about how they're going to be delivered effective January 1. That's sort of bucket number one. Bucket number two are your contracts. The CPRA says that any third party that receives or has access to a California resident's personal information must have very specific contract provisions in place. So what this means on the HR side is that you need to identify all of your vendors from payroll to benefits to timekeeping to email management, and you need to ensure that those contracts have an addendum, an update, effective January 1, uh, that include the contract requirements. Now, the reality on the contracting side for most employers, Teresa, is that when you're dealing with big players like the ADPs and the workdays of the world, they're likely going to be updating their standard terms going into January, but it's an important exercise for the HR department to do now, which is pull the list of all your third-party vendors and start working through how you're going to make those contracts updated. So that's sort of bucket number two that I'd be working on right now. And then the third bucket are your internal policies and standards. You know, I talked about earlier about this data minimization requirement. Don't collect data and use data for more than what you need it for. That requires you to have an internal policy and standard about data minimization. You also need an internal policy and standard on how you're going to receive requests from employees and job applicants 
exercising their rights under this law. And under this law, they have a right of access. They have a right to deletion. They have a right to limit the processing of sensitive information, if that's what's happening. They have a right to opt out of a sale of data, if that's what's happening. So you have to have a process in place to take in those requests and process those requests. And there's a, a number of other internal policies that I would recommend, but those would be the three buckets of activities. Get your external notices in line so everything that's public facing or facing out to the HR folks is shored up. Get your contracts lined up and start to put together those internal policies. And if you do those three buckets, you're going to be in a good position, you know, in, in about 60 days. That's awesome. I, I want to ask you about the opt-out provision. So I've I've been, you know, listening to a lot of seminars and talking to people about getting, you know, getting up to speed and all that sort of stuff. And I've heard a lot of from one scale to the other on this opt-out provision. So how far, how far does it actually go? For example, let's just use social security numbers as an example. If a business is using social security numbers for important HR functions, whatever that might be, and an employee comes and says, I, I, I don't want you to have my social security um, data anymore. Is the business required to say, okay, even though it's maybe part of something functional for them? Like how far does that go? So in that scenario, in that hypothetical, that would be really a request for deletion. And the person would be saying, delete my social security number. And the business, the employer there would be able to deny that request because you require it to perform the function, the HR function. And so there are a number of exceptions that employers are, are going to be able to rely on in that scenario. I think where you're, you're going to see more requests come in on the employee side is really when employees leave employment. When employees leave employment and they want to start to set up a potential legal claim, you often get a request under the California Labor Code for a copy of the personnel file and the payroll file. I can see employees now using the request for access under the CPRA to try to gather additional information. So that's a, that's a scenario where these requests may come in. But to your question, Teresa, about the opt-out, the opt-out right under this law is very limited. It's limited to where there's a sale of data, where there's a sharing of data, or where there is a use of sensitive personal information to derive characteristics about the individual. And selling and sharing are really specifically defined in the statute. And it really has to be, you are giving their data to a third party for monetary value or other commercial value or for cross contextual behavioral advertising. Those are the scenarios where you have to give people the right to opt out. I will say in my experience, it's pretty rare for me to see an HR group selling data or sharing data. It can happen though. And I'll give you one example. I had a client that was using a third party to do employee recognition programs. So if an employee was doing well, they sign up on this third party's website and they get, you know, Applebee's gift cards, whatever the prize is. Mm -hmm. Well, this third party was then also reaching out to those employees and saying, congratulations, here's your gift card. If you want to learn about other services, here's a link. So at that point, they were commercializing the data they were receiving. That's arguably a sale of data. So you have to look at your relationships carefully to determine if that's happening. But the opt-out right is very limited. So the reality for most employers 
And that's why that internal policy that I was talking about, you really you map out all of the scenarios and you say, when we get a request of this type, here's our standard response. And you move you move through it methodically there. So there's a there's a rhyme and reason to it. And I will just as a key takeaway, it's all doable in bite-sized pieces. It seems overwhelming for a lot of HR departments, but there's a way to map it out to your organization and what you're doing with data. I'll take your word for that because it does sound a bit overwhelming, but I, I agree. I think if you break it down, you've made it very clear, um, some really good steps that employers can start to take and sort of baby step it along uh, to get going. One of the interesting things you said was the use of sensitive information, I think you said, to derive characteristics. Is that going to impact employers who are trying to comply with you know, data reporting requirements or internal uh, DEI projects and things like that? Or does that fall under this information is, is functional to us and therefore we need it? It's a great question. So the what the law says is that if you are processing an individual's sensitive personal information for the purpose of deriving a characteristic about that individual, you must give that individual the right to tell you as a business don't use my sensitive personal information for that purpose. The right is called limit the processing of my sensitive personal information. But you only have to extend that right if you are using sensitive personal information to derive characteristics. Of course, the statute doesn't define what it means to derive a characteristic. So we're sort of left to our judgment as to what that means. But sensitive personal information is defined under the law as including certain demographic data, like gender identity, sexual orientation. It also includes information about disability, medical status, biometric information. So employers need to ask themselves, are we using one of these pieces of sensitive personal information to derive a characteristic about the individual? For example, I know this person is of a particular race, age, sexual orientation, and geographic location. I'm going to make an assumption about what their preferences are or what, you know, what type of employee they would be. I'm going to derive a characteristic about them based on the sensitive information I have. An example of this where this could come up is, you know, some companies will put into their system whether somebody's likely or not to be a delinquent bill payer. And perhaps they put in there, I know people in this city block don't pay their bills. So we're going to send out more reminders to this group. Well, if you are using specific geolocation data, characteristic assumption, then perhaps that is using sensitive data to derive a characteristic. So it's a bit of a sliding scale, a gray area. But my recommendation for employers would be question number one is, are we using any of these pieces of information that would be considered sensitive? What are we using it for? You got to map your data and how you're using it. And from that sort of inventory, from that visibility into your data usage, you can then say, is this deriving a characteristic? Do we need to extend this right to third parties? Wow. So it's so interesting. The more you do zero down in these, the the huge impact that this, that this is going to have on people. Um, and we have just about one more minute left. I was going to ask you about what employees can expect to see from their employers, but I think based on what you've said, that gives employees a pretty good idea of, of the kinds of things that they're going to start seeing from their employers' notices and things like that. So 
just in our last minute or so, do you have any your own thoughts for the future on this? Um, any cautionary, specific cautionary reminders you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think a key, I think a key takeaway as we wrap things up is start now. Don't wait till January because, as you can see, we've barely even scratched the surface of the complexities of what this law requires. So start now, analyze your exposure, are you going to be covered, all of that. But then really the fundamental question everybody has to answer is, what are we doing with the information? What are we using it for? Where is it going? How is it being stored? And the best way to get there is to just start having conversations with your business leads, with your HR leads, and saying, just walk me through the daily processes. Tell me about onboarding. How do we collect job applications? Talk to me about uh, the benefits and payroll process. And then once you have that visibility into your data, I call it a data map. Some people call it a data inventory. That process in and of itself will then tell you what you need to do. It'll inform what goes into your notice. It'll inform how detailed your privacy statement has to be. It'll tell you what rights you need to extend and how to effectuate those. So it can be overwhelming if you start to do compliance without having that visibility into your information and your processes, because then you're really kind of in the dark as to what you're saying in your privacy policy. So that would be my advice. Start now, start with those conversations, map your data, and the rest of the pieces can fall into place. And there's still time. You know, we've got enough time between now and January to get in place. The final note is that the enforcement environment in California is increasing. The new privacy agency will begin enforcing this law in July. They will have the authority to send out non-compliance notices. They're called probable cause notices. And the penalties are $2,500 per individual per violation. So it's going to be an increased monetary risk in not getting it right. So that's why I say start now, start thinking through it now, and you can get ready by January 1st. That's awesome advice. Thank you so much, Peter. That's our show for today. I want to thank you for joining me and for sharing your thoughts and your obvious expertise on this issue with our listeners. Very much appreciated. Thanks, Teresa. It was a pleasure. You can learn more about Peter by visiting www.dentons.com en slash Peter Stockburger. You can also connect with Peter via our website at workplaceperspective.com. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. I want to thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar. Oh, oh, oh.